Live from the studios of KTAR News 92.3 FM, it's the Whitfield Nursery Garden Show with Brian Whitfield. Everything you need to know to grow. Call Brian with your questions at 602-277-5827. That's 602-277-5827. The Whitfield Nursery Garden Show, now on KTAR News 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Well, we're here on another beautiful day. What special weather, you know? How many how many nights in uh, October do we have it where it rains off and on and on night? Thunderstorms. You know, I was over by Camelback Mountain yesterday watching the waterfalls run off the hill. Uh, really special time to be here. Anyway, happy Sunday morning. Welcome to the Whitfield Nursery Garden Show, where we start off with wide open phones. Yes, the number to call, 602-277-5827, 277-KTAR. We could talk about your, your dreams, your nightmares. We could talk about the green, green uh, mountains we're going to have this winter. We could talk about two or three more rains, and we're going to have spring wildflowers like you can't believe it. Or maybe you look at the other side. Hey, perhaps you're going to grow a lot of weeds here and you want to get out and do something about them before they all come up. Well, it's, it's all going to happen. You know, we're here in basically what amounts to our desert spring. This is the time of year when we can plant beautiful gardens, great flowers, all kinds of trees. Citrus harvest season's just around the corner. And it's a great time to celebrate the fact that we survived another summer, uh, even though it was nicer than average. I mean, we had quite a quite a nice monsoon season so far. I wouldn't call this one a monsoon, but, you know, it came out of California at a different kind of time and a different kind of angle, and it's sure welcome. Anyway, welcome to the Woodfield Nursery Garden, where we can talk about anything from our beautiful Sonoran dairy, different plants, to the tropics. We grow a lot of tropic things here. Uh, we have a lot of uh, traditional things. We grow, you know, part of our five seas. We grow a lot of citrus. And if you want to grow vegetables, we supply, you know, we, including you know, all those people all the way down to Yuma, you know, the biggest part of the produce, uh, as far as the green stuff, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, kale, um, all those things to the country, spinach, you know, this time of year. So, and if you want to grow your root crops, uh, if you want to grow, you know, put in carrots or uh, maybe onions or garlic or any of those kind of things, great time to do that. Grow some big turnips, a big rutabagas, you know, whatever you wanted to give us a call. If you're having problems, if you have an idea, if you have something you're doing fun, something different, you know, we're all here to learn. The number to call once more, 602-277-5827-277-KTAR. Deb and Scottsdale, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Good. Um, I have two questions I would like to ask. One is about a mesquite tree that is close to our foundation. It's um, six feet from the foundation. And then on the other side of the tree, it's about three feet from a perimeter wall. And then that perimeter wall drops um, about two feet to um, a natural area. Okay. The mesquite diameter at the base is about seven inches, and I would say the tree is about 20 feet tall because the top of it goes to about the height of our house. Deb, how long has it been there? We've lived here in the house for seven years, and it was here when we arrived. Um, has, I would has it say, grown much since you've been there? Well, that's just it. It has. It's filled in, and the canopy is always touching um, the house. 
So, we're, you know, we've been trimming it back on the one side. Mm-hmm. And the other side, it's up over the the perimeter fence, the wall. Um, and then it's starting to, to, you know, droop down on the other side. So here's the here's the thing with the tree in that location, Deb. I mean, it's it's you know you can maintain it and it can stay there forever. And if you enjoy the tree being there, it'll be fine. Unless it picks up a big difference in water source somewhere. Um, you know, being desert on the outside of the fence, it's not getting a lot of extra water in a narrow area like that beside your house. You know, the rainfall portion shouldn't be too much unless the roof slopes and drains in that area. So by it's pruning it back. By pruning it back once a year, you're going to limit the root growth along with the top growth. And if you'd like to keep that tree there forever, you can. But what you want to do is every year at about, uh, oh, the first or middle part of May, go through and prune it and reduce its size and kind of maintain it and just not let it grow. And by reducing its size in the top, you'll reduce its root growth and it shouldn't be a problem for you. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, so you said the the major pruning should be in the month of May. Well, it's usually good to pre uh, to prune mesquite trees. If we prune them this time of year, they look pruned until April because they're probably not going right. to grow again. So if we prune them in May when they're actively growing and after they've just finished all their flowering, then you're going to remove a lot of the beans they're going to have. So you're going to take away a lot of the litter. Okay, and at the same time, you're prepping the tree for any stress it may have in the monsoon season, and you want to cut it back enough each year to reduce its size so that it's not really expanding and getting much larger. And it probably won't anyway unless it gets more water. Right. So we've just been doing intermittent pruning, especially on the side of the house so that it doesn't touch the house. Well, you don't so want to rub up, our- Yeah, you don't want to rub up against the house in windstorms, and that's kind of ideal. But as far as the okay. overall size of the tree, if you want to limit the tree's root growth, if you limit the top growth, the roots aren't yeah. going to grow anymore. Okay. And do you think the roots are um, at the surface, like on the grade of the foundation? And then do you well, think... Well, it depends on where they... it's getting water. It depends on what type of mesquite it is. There's a lot of varieties of mesquites. Our native mesquites here, the ones that have a lot of thorns that grow here naturally, are going to have no a very thorns. deep... This Okay, if it has no thorns, it's probably a Chilean. Or if it was planted there, it's almost certainly a Chilean mesquite. And uh, it's going to have more surface roots. And it'll be efficient at putting roots out long distances across the surface to find water. And it also makes it, uh, you know, oftentimes a weaker rooted tree. So it would be more likely to blow and have problems. But by reducing the top size, you're eliminating those problems. Okay. Thank you. Now, my other question is about a native um, desert plant. And I'm not 100% sure what it is, but it might be the one that has those little orange um, seeds or balls right now. Mm, not sure which which one you're talking about. Does it flower? Do you see flowers on it in different seasons? Mm, don't think I see flowers. Is it a but, shrub or um, is it a... It's a very, very big shrub. And, and my question is, I'd like to remove it. Um, and I've been able to cut it back a couple of times. It's got thorns, so it's not exactly fun to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been able to cut it back to the to the ground and I wanted to know the best way to remove it so well, that the best way to doesn't... remove any plant does just simply dig out the roots. Yeah. It's, it's not pretty big. Yeah. Well, this takes a little more work. Hey, I'm going to okay. grab some of their callers. Thanks for the call today. Deb, have a nice weekend. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, Melanie and Chandler. Good morning, Melanie. 
Good morning, Brian. Yes. I wanted to find out. I wanted to find out from you, please, um, about planting the winter lawn. And then thinking ahead, I'm I'm wondering how would dichondra possibly fit into my future? Well, if you want dichondra to be, do you have flood irrigation, Melanie, or not? No, it's a it's a sprinkler system. Okay, so you don't have to plant a winter lawn. You know, if you want to keep okay. the, the Bermuda grass going, you know, fertilize it one last time right now, and it'll stay green until we have a frost, which is usually sometime in December. And if you wanted to, at that point, you could actually paint it, and uh, it'll stay green with the paint all the way till it starts to grow again in February. Um, then the other thing, if you're going to do that, what you'd want to probably do is put down a pre-emergent right now to keep any weed seed from growing. And today would be the perfect day to do that while the ground's already moist. Put it on and water and you won't have the winter weeds. Uh, that's going Super. to all change after this week because with this weather, the winter weeds are going to all germinate. So, you know, you really, with pre-emergence, you want to put them on today. Now, if you if you want to plant a winter lawn, I mean, you certainly can, uh, you, you'd want to scalp it. So probably wait another week till it gets kind of dried out. Come back and scalp it, plant your seed. You know, be prepared to run your irrigation system four or five times a day for the first week or so till it's germinated. And then back off and keep, you know, eliminating the water and spacing it out to further intervals and you should be fine. Okay, and then um, if at one point I want to convert the lawn to dichondra. So what, what I would do is seed dichondra next year in April or May. Okay. okay. And, and dichondra, if it's kind of shadier, will dominate and grow, and it'll grow right in with the Bermuda grass and eventually kind of take it over. Um, but it, it's not going to grow this time of year. You have, if you're going to plant it from seeds, you have to plant it in the heat. Okay. That sounds like a plan. And my brother has painted the lawn before, and it actually looks great. Yeah, it, it, it can good. be fine. It saves a little water. It actually saves a lot of work. And uh, Yeah. But, it, you know, it's up to you. Lots of different ways to do it. Melanie, thanks for calling. Have a nice weekend. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back with John Richard in the ringing line. But after the ringing line, we've got two available. The number to call, 602-277-5827-277-KTAR. It's Brian and Shira here every Sunday morning with the Whitfield Nursery Garden Show on 92.3 FM KTR. Until you brought your Sunday morning sunshine.
listen to this beautiful Sunday morning. Looks like we still have a line or two available. The number to call, 602-277-5827-277-KTAR. John and Mesa, good morning, John. Hey, how you doing, Brian? Excellent, sir. Good. Hey, I had a question for you. Um, I have two trees out in my front yard. One, I believe, is an American sycamore, and the other one is a Babylon willow. And after last year, the sycamore, uh, once all the leaves fell after the winter, it never bloomed again come spring or summer. And it's been looking like a dead winter tree ever since. And I noticed that also the other tree, too, uh, is starting to, the branches are starting to droop. And uh, it's kind of looking a little. Uh, John, are these trees in good. lawn? What's that? Are these trees planted in lawn? No, uh uh-uh. uh, on rock. On rock, okay. So sycamores here, you know, the common sycamores here are going to be a California or Arizona sycamore. And uh, uh-huh. both those varieties, neither one really thrive in rock. You know, they're going to have a hard time growing rock. They're going to really want to be in lawn. And okay. uh, for it to, to die like that through the season, though, you know, I would be a little leery of using some kind of a, you know, a chemical in there that's affected it. So, I mean, okay. for it to stay leafed out to the fall and then not come back out, you know, it'd be like it picked up some ortho ground clear or some kind of a herbicide that went up in the tree and caused the problem. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. So that wouldn't be such a good thing. And the problem with that is it takes, you know, realistically about a year for some of these chemicals to go out. And, you know, older chemicals uh, like Pramatol can take up to eight or ten years to go out of the soil. That's why we'll be real mindful when we're, when we're treating the ground. And what we really want to use is glyphosate, which is like Roundup, and then a pre-emergent. Uh-huh. But, you know, anything that says it's going to last more than the, a contact herbicide when you spray it on the ground, don't use. Um, just in general, just wouldn't recommend them at all. Pre-emergents are a completely different class. They keep things from germinating and do different things. But but when we're using these longer-term weed killers, they can really de- you know be detrimental. You might want to start back and try trees that would be hardier in this climate. You know, if you want to grow something back in those areas and you've got a problem with it being treated, it's going to be in rock. You know, I would look more like at desert trees like American mesquite or, or even olives if you want something that's going to be evergreen. Um, uh-huh. You know, something like an ash or pistachio, those would be pretty hardy as well. But I am concerned that you've, you know, toxically poisoned your soil. Yeah, yeah, it might be. Um, I mean, I've been using some of the Roundup on the, just on the normal weeds, but. Roundup, Roundup, Roundup's not going to hurt. Okay, Okay. Roundup itself, the original original glyphosate Roundup won't cause a problem. You know, it's not going to build toxicity. Uh, things like ortho ground clear, you know, or any, anything that says it's an extended period weed killer that's going to do more, uh-huh. that's going to kill them and then keep them away for six months or any of those kind of things. Those chemicals, that type of, uh, you know, science is very toxic and lasts in the soil for a long time. So those gotcha. can cause more okay. problems. But, um, you know, you can excavate the holes, put, you know, bigger holes in there and then come back and put more desert types of trees. You know, they don't have to be necessarily one from our desert. You know, you don't have to plant ironwoods everywhere or Palo Verdes, but there's a lot of desert trees that are going to do better here than a sycamore or willow. Gotcha. So last question, is there any way to revive that tree then? 
or is that done? Probably not. You know, and really a sycamore is not, you know, you could fight with a sycamore, you know, in the gravel for a lifetime and you're not going to win. You know, sycamores okay. are riparian trees. You can see where they grow here. And actually in Arizona, if you want to grow a sycamore, what you want to grow is a California sycamore. Uh, our Arizona sycamores grow better at higher elevation. So a platinum uh-huh. race mosa or a California sycamore will do much better here in the valley. But in a rock area, especially if a lot of you know, reflective heat, and if you really want to grow a sycamore, what you'd want to do is put a lot of ground cover underneath it. Okay. You know, so have a lot of ground, like something like a Waddellia or a Lantana or something that's going to take the reflected heat away. Okay. Great. I appreciate the help, Brian. All right. Thanks. Bye, John. Uh, let's see. Next up, we have Richard and Whitman. Good morning, Richard. Morning. Yes, sir. Brush out. I found a little African sumac seedling, about mm-hmm. 10 inches tall. I don't like the place it's in. I need to move it. How okay. big a root ball should I dig out? Well, you could dig it out, or you could just get another seed and plant a new one if it's ten inches tall. If if you want to, if you really want to start one, but no, I mean it. It shouldn't be a problem to move it. And if it's only ten inches tall and the trunk's smaller than a pencil, um, if you can get a root ball the size of a five-gallon nursery can, and you'll want to do that by turning your shovel around backwards and holding the root ball together as you dig down, and then cut underneath it. And uh, if it's you know heavy enough when you take it out, you might slide a a towel or something underneath it, roll it one way, slide the towel under and pick it up so it's easier to, to hoist out of the hole and put it back in the ground. And you can do a sumac pretty much any time of the year. You could transplant a sumac like that right now. It would be fine. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, let's see. Next, we've got John, then Stephanie. Then we have three open lines available. We have the lovely Shira back here smiling. Give her a call, 602-277-5827, 277-KTAR. Good morning, John. Good morning. Hey, this, this rain last night was terrific. Unreal. <laughs> yeah. And you know what was I really mean, fun about it, John? The best part about you know having rain this time where we don't see it was the amount of lightning and nitrogen we got for free. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, parked the car in the street, got a great car wash. <laughs> All you had to do was chamois it down and it's like, <laughs> clean the windows. I don't remember waxing it. <laughs> it's it's terrific. Um, it's mid October, and I always miss it. But I want flowers February and March. Okay, either California poppies in in the backyard gravel or the. Um, are they called African daisies? Yeah, African daisies are wonderful. Yeah, and all, all the beautiful wildflowers we have. You know, except, except, except. Uh, yeah, uh, do it, and I, I think I, I've never seen such hefty uh, morning doves. You know, they eat all the seeds. How do I get it in? Is this a good time? You know the the well. You know, question. yeah, pretty much though. You can you can you can seed them. It's you can seed them right now. I mean, the ones out in the desert with this weather this time of year, which is a little early, a little different. You know, are probably going to start to germinate now, uh, along with all the weeds and all the winter things, because the weather's breaking enough, and we got this great rain, and it's going to say that you know to nature, hey, it's time to party. So let's take advantage of what we got. But typically here, when we're going to plant those, we're going to plant them in November like the first or second week in November. But uh, you could plant them now. 
and uh, they, they should be fine. And, and right, while, right. while the doves and things, they'll get some of that seed. They're nothing. They're, they're really not hard on it. You know, they really don't pick up all that seed. And Can I uh, rake them in. Uh, you could you could rake them in. Uh, do you have any other weeds that are going to grow there naturally? No, I, okay. I'm on the side of a mountain, and we've got um, you know the sh- the shale and the mm-hmm. alluvium. Okay, uh, and so when when you uh, pontificate about how much water to put on, mm-hmm. uh, I, I do it a third more because it just goes down like it's going down a drain. Well, there's, yeah, there's, and the no and the play. real trick to that too, John, is is you know two three in, two or three applications of water the same day separated out so it doesn't have the opportunity to run off. But uh, yes. no, now now is the perfect time. You can see them now. You can see them all the way through the middle of you know between now and Thanksgiving, and um, get them seeded. And you know if we have some more rains, if we have a normal you know a good old fashioned normal winter where we get half of our year every you know rain every year between November and February, yeah. uh, that would be fantastic. Uh, um, this rain is pretty unusual for mid-October, but very welcomed. And uh, so while you're thinking about it, if you want to get them planted, if not, if you if you wait for a few weeks, it's, you're not going to miss any opportunity. But certainly have them in before Thanksgiving. Do you, uh, do you sell? Well, I got to tell you, I'm not sure what we have in stock, John. I, I, we've been so busy right now with all of our different things, getting ready for citrus season, bringing the flowers from the north. I haven't paid attention. <laughs> so okay. You could call the nurseries and they could tell you what they have in stock for seeds. And I would say that typically we do, you know, always have the seeds. But it might be a little earlier than they have, you know, larger containers or bigger stocks of them. Just because our normal planting season would be about three weeks from now. Thank you. John, thanks for the call, and you can't help but enjoy this rain. No, yeah, thanks. Bye. Take bye. care. Bye-bye. Uh, Stephanie in Scottsdale. Good morning, Stephanie. Good morning. I can't remember when the last time was that I slept with my house open in the middle of October. What a beautiful <laughs> night. Oh, my gosh. It was just glorious. Um I want to give you a little scenario because I'm confused and I'm a terrible gardener anyway. On the front side of my house, which is a Western Exposure, <clears throat> in a raised bed. Years ago, I planted, no, well, gardener actually planted, some of these awful looking things I didn't think they would do well. They were salvia. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, I, I have a memory he called them bat wing salvia. I have no idea why I have that memory. But at any rate, uh, they have a western exposure, but they're totally under a big, old, ancient um, uh, olive tree, so mm-hmm. they don't get a lot of direct sun. They don't mm-hmm. probably get any direct sun. And they flourish, and they're so beautiful. So now I go to the back of my house and I have a path and at the end of the path is a sitting area and it's underneath a huge, gigantic uh, Palo Verde tree. So I went to a nursery, a, a reputable nursery, and I bought some very beautiful salvia and I planted half on one side of the uh, sitting area, which is basically under shade. It may get I don't even know if it gets any afternoon sunlight, maybe a little bit. And the other side, which is under shade in the morning, but then gets all the afternoon sun starting from about maybe 1 o'clock on. And I was told that these salvia would um, withstand 
those conditions. They should, Stephanie. Well, I'll tell would. you what, we, we've got a hard break here with the news coming up at 730. You want to hold on because okay. we'll, it sounds like we're going to be at this for a while. And uh, sure. we'll, we'll, I'll bring you right back after the news. And we have the lovey Heidi Hummels in the studio this morning with the news. We'll be right back after the news with the Whitfield Nursery Garden Show. While they're gone, you can give, well, we're gone, you can give Shira a call at 602-277-5827. We'll be right back after the news with the Whitfield Nursery Garden Show here every Sunday morning from 7 to 9 on 92.3 FM KTAR. Sunday morning, and looks like we have a line or two still available. Number to call, 602-277-5827. Hello again, Stephanie. Okay. I know you remember everything I told you. We so are we're talking to. about the salvias. Okay, so salvias yeah. are more temperamental than most plants, and there's different ones. There's a lot of them, okay. and they really do best in part shade. Uh, they need enough sunlight to bloom. So if they get like an equivalent of about a half a day's sun and no reflected heat from the afternoon. So that's why your one does so well on the west side, you know, having the tree to take the afternoon heat off it. Um, one couple of tricks when you plant them, if you use powdered sulfur and dust, dust the hole with powdered sulfur before you plant them, that does seem to help salvias a lot. They're, they're not as, as hardy as some other things. You know what's gotten to replace them a lot more recently have been lavenders. So there's a lot of lavenders that will work in the same types of areas that might be a little bit uh, better and easier to grow. But, you know, when they're in their happy spot, they're happy. And when they're not, they're not. And salvias are one that, uh, you know, they do vary a lot. Well, the lavender, the reason I wanted them, because I still love, when I first planted them, they did beautiful. They just grew like crazy until it got really hot. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the ones under the shade died more slowly, but they still died. Anyway, will the lavenders attract the um, hummingbirds? Uh, they will. I mean, there, there's other hummingbird plants. I mean, really, realistically, things like a Cape honeysuckle or Mexican honeysuckle. Okay. Mexican honeysuckle in the shade will thrive like that. And hummingbirds will love okay. it. And that might be a better okay. choice. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye, Steph. Uh, Jerry, let's see. Oh, next we have Mike in North Phoenix. Hello, Mike. Hi. How are you today? Good, sir. Uh, well, I had an aha moment a few minutes ago when you were uh, talking to one of the other callers. Uh, I have had great luck using the Ortho Ground Clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've also had some problem getting plants to grow in my yard. <laughs> um, I've been careful to not spray anywhere near the plants or trees, but uh, for whatever reason, while the ortho ground clear does a great job of getting rid of and keeping away the weeds, 
at some point along the way, my trees and plants seem to, to die or suffer from it. Um, yeah, you know, I, I've, no, I've noticed it, uh, you know, realistically, Mike, because I get, you know, I go out and see customers when they're having problems, especially when we planted trees, and, and, and more so when it's been a year or two after they're planted and then they're having problems. But I have discovered containers of ortho ground clear in so many garages you can't imagine. And, um, okay. you know, it, it does some real permanent, well, not permanent, but let's just say long-term damage that uh, people don't in, intend for it to do when they use it. I, I really don't oh. think it should be marketed and sold to the public, period. Um, there, there's no use, useful point to have a chemical you're going to put in that's going to leach and move around and damage other plants. And especially when okay. you have a label that says it's kind of safe. And then, you know, I'm, I'm out trying to warranty trees and help customers whose, you know, trees are having a problem. And I, I run into these problems. I go, well, I bet we can find a jug here. You know, and you see sure. all the buds that are all misformed and misshapen. And, it, and it's not that it kills the plants right away. It just stops and stunts growth and can really cause some, you know, damage for about a year that's that's exactly the the situation i've had so i've got two questions relating to that mm -hmm. what are my best alternatives uh that are on, on the well a, a contact a contact two, herbicide okay so you, it's the difference between using anything that says it's got a, a, a killing power that lasts more than five minutes all right okay so if you if you lose using the 2,4-D or glyphosate 2,4-D it's getting cool okay. enough you could use 2,4-D kills all broadleaves, okay? And it's safe for lawns, but it kills all... If you spray it on any kind of tree, it's the same thing as Agent Orange they used in Vietnam that they sprayed in the jungles to defoliate the jungles. And that's what 2,4-D is, okay? So it's... None of these it chemicals... None, none, well, no. None of these chemicals are made to last, okay? Okay. They're, herb, they're contact herbicides. And the difference between using a contact and a pre-emergent uh, is that the pre-emergent now, if you use the two together, and you can mix them together, and by the label, you can mix these chemicals together... A pre-emergence is going to go down and basically prevents, it puts a barrier down so no seed germinates, okay? And that works very okay. effectively until you go dig a hole or break the soil. And as soon as you go dig through that contact barrier, that pre-emergent, uh, then boom, weeds are going to grow. Okay, so okay. It, it's a great, great way to keep weeds away. And after you've used a pre-emergent a couple of times, unless you go up and till the soil, unless somebody drives across the desert where the bettina is, um, you know, you, if you drive through the desert, you don't see natural, you know, the tumbleweeds growing. You only see them where somebody's turned the soil or driven through the desert. Okay, they don't grow out in the open yeah. desert because of the natural patina and the way it's set up. And that's what you're doing with a pre-emergent. Okay. But all these now, chemicals, that any chemical you buy that say you're, you're going to put it on and it's going to last for six months, nine months, you know, there's one that, you know, contractors used to love to use called Pramatol, and it'll last for eight years, you know. And so there's a lot of these chemicals that I just really don't recommend using at your own home. Okay, so a pre-emergent then is different than ground Right. Pre-emergence, uh, uh, basically you put a pre-emergent down and all it does, it stops the seeds and germinating from the surface. And it goes down about okay. half inch into the soil and creates a barrier. And those products are readily available on the market? There's a lot of them on the, on the market. Okay. And there's a lot of do contact herbicides. Because I've got this ground clear in my soil, do I need to go in there and amend the soil in any way? No, so it's I formulated it? where it doesn't really leach terribly, okay? So, I mean, they've, they've, Ortho is a big company. So, they, they've made this product. So, it doesn't leach terribly. So, it doesn't really run off and things. But it does take it about a year, a year and a half to wear out. So it's just going to be okay. there. There's no way to eliminate it. You know, unless you wanted to go okay. tear everything up and put in activated charcoal. I mean, there's a process for everything, but it's just not practical. So the okay. best thing is just to wait. 
And uh, hopefully one day you start seeing some weeds pop up again. And that's a good sign. Yeah, that's healthy soil. If you, if you can't grow weeds, you can't grow trees. And uh, right. so once the weeds start coming up again, you'll, you'll know what it is. It's spot spraying with either, a, you know, there's there's th- about three different things. There's like a 2,4-D based stuff, which is pretty common. Uh, there's glyphosate, which it's in a lot of different things. Same thing as Roundup. You see all the things on TV, how dangerous it is. All chemicals are dangerous if you spray them on your skin. None of these are made to be in contact with your skin. And unfortunately, okay. what people don't tend to do is read the label. You know, and, and, you know, when we apply a chemical at our nursery, everybody there has to go through a training process, okay, before they can ever touch a chemical or we would be in trouble. But anybody in agriculture has the same rules. Unfortunately, homeowners don't. You know, you go buy what right. you want to buy at, at, at your favorite store, and they just give it to you and you walk out the door with it. And the percentage of people that actually read the label is probably quite small, you know, and it's not like building the rector set. You know, sometimes it's fun to play with a rector set and not read the label. When you're dealing with chemicals, always read and follow the label. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for the info. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. Jim and Surprise. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. How are you today? Great, sir. Good. All right. Quick question for you. Um, We bought, um, I think they were the 32-inch box for Queen Palms. Um, We had them planted two years ago. Um, They were green. They get plenty of water. The last two months, though, they're starting to turn yellow. Um, And we've tried some granules, but nothing seems to... We still have growth coming up, Uh but... Again, the fawns are just yellow. They, 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 they're not green anymore. Okay, I, what, I would, um, what I would recommend for you, Jim, is a pretty big dose of manganese. And you can buy manganese spikes. But queen palms do like a lot of extra manganese. And, uh, you know, magnesium helps too. But especially the manganese spikes are good for queen palms. And as far as watering goes, this time of year, they need to be deep watered about once a week. Okay, and it's the last okay, okay. time you're going to have any fertilizer work because the weather's going to get cool and they're going to go dormant here in the next couple of weeks. It's already starting to cool off, so you'd want to fertilize them right away. And if you want them green even faster, you could spray some liquid fertilizer on the foliage, and you could use like Peters or Miracle Grow or any kind of a water soluble fertilizer and spray right on the foliage. And if you're going to use, you know, the best way to fertilize them right now would probably be like a twenty one seven fourteen lawn fertilizer because it's made from ammonium nitrate, half of it, it's going to release faster. So I would put maybe 21714 lawn fertilizer on it and put a manganese spike in there. And if you really want them green fast, spray a little fertilizer on the heads. Okay, so the 21714, just, just lawn fertilizer and then... What, what do I, what, what did you suggest spraying on them? Well, on, on the foliage, if you want to green up, you know, they'll, they'll take fertilizer in through the foliage faster now than through the roots because of the weather. So you could use like miracle Grow, or you could use Peters, you know, like a 20, 20, 20, any kind of a liquid yeah. water soluble fertilizer uh, sprayed on the foliage is going to work faster this time of year. And the reason why specifically I recommend to like a 21714 lawn fertilizers, because most of those are made with ammonium nitrate, which, you know, because of blows things up and people are crazy, we can't sell anymore just as straight ammonium nitrate. But it's going to be the fastest released form of nitrogen that you could put on. And you need to have all this happen right away because it's cooling off and the days are getting shorter. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thanks, Jim. Thank have, you. have a nice day. Bye-bye. Uh, Jerry and Tallison. Good morning, Jerry. 
Yeah. Yeah, I say, um, I had my needle, not a needle pump, the uh, Santa Rosa pump. It's about four years old, mm-hmm. and uh, it's uh, maybe four or five inches in diameter on the trunk. Um, uh, just yesterday, I walked by it, and all the leaves are brown. They just died. They're hanging on. They don't fall off. Um, the only thing I did was threw a couple hands full of uh, fertilizer. That uh, chicken manure fertilizer. Okay. Okay. I bought a pellet, uh, a can of pelletized fertilizer, and I just went around everything. Threw a couple hands full down all my little plants, and including this uh, Santa Rosa plum. That's the only thing I did. You know, I, 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 would, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't think with a couple handfuls it could hurt. Jerry, it doesn't have any, it's not bleeding any sap and doesn't have any boreholes in the trunk? Uh, no. Okay. No. Because, I mean, that was the well, you know, I first thing. Yeah, I'd go, I'd go look for them to see if it's got any boreholes in the trunk. Because, uh, you know, they certainly are very susceptible to bores. And uh, and if you hadn't, but if you'd fertilized it a couple weeks ago, you would have noticed it. You know, at that time. So, I mean, the boars, you know, you would have thought you would have seen more signs of the damage a month ago than, than just now. Um, but no, I, I don't I don't I don't think with uh, like Hickman's, you know, their pelletized chicken manure. It's only about three for four percent nitrogen. So it's not very hot. So it, it shouldn't burn like that. Yeah, I was just really kind of surprised. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, kind of a mystery. But um what is the normal, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing when I was throwing these pellets around everything. Uh, a couple hands full here and there <laughs> isn't going to hurt, maybe not even help much. Well, yeah, it certain, certainly shouldn't hurt anything, Jerry, and I don't, I don't think that would be the cause of your problem. Yeah. But I would go look yeah. for the boars. I mean, the boars, you know, if you had some boars in there, they, as soon as they come through and cut that circle around inside and cut that camel layer out, that, that, that'll kill it like that. The, uh, yeah, yeah, there's some uh, sprouts coming out of the base that are still green. Well, the that problem with those them. is they're going to typically be down below the graph. But if you look just above where those sprouts are coming out and, and you see the, the woods kind of decayed, just take a pocket knife, you could probably dig in there and find the boar. Now, the only good thing about it, if you do dig in there and find the boars, it's a good time to go up to Lake Present and catch crappie. And they like flat-headed boars. Oh, yeah. Hey, Jerry. Sure. I, we got to take a break. Have a nice weekend. Thanks for calling. Bye bye. Uh, we're going to be right back after the break. While we're going, actually, this is the first time since we started. We have wide open phones. Shira back here smiling. Give her a call 602 277 5827. 277 KTR. It's Shira and Brian here with the Whitfield Nursery Garden Show every Sunday from 7 to 9 on 92.3 FM KTAR. Talking to myself and feeling old Sometimes I'd like to quit Nothing ever seems to fit Hanging around Nothing to do but frown Rainy days and Mondays always get me down 
Sunday morning, and we do have a couple lines open. Just give us a call at 602-277-5827. You can delete the direction of the program. We can talk about whatever you want to grow. But I want to take a minute first and invite you out to Whitfields. You know, Whitfields, we grow trees. Started with my grandparents on our original farm right over at 824 East Glendale Avenue and continuing today for four generations. We grow trees of all kinds and all sizes. Of course, citrus is one of our specialties. That's what our original place was on 8th Street in Glendale. It was just our my grandparents' orange grove to begin with. And then we kind of expanded out and having a grandfather as a chef, he loved to grow trees. So we kind of all got the bug after that. But at any rate, if you need trees, any kind, any size, from palm trees to pine trees, from mesquite trees to ironwoods, to beautiful flowers this time of year, you know, it's a perfect time to plant geraniums and rose bushes, or maybe you want to go in and plant a vegetable garden. Right now is our spring here in the desert. The perfect time to plant. And at Whitfields, we'll do the digging. Our original store is at 824 East Glendale. In the East Valley, we're at Cooper, which is a stay man Stapley and Guadalupe, or 2647 East Southern Avenue, Southern Avenue, just directly south of Sky Harbor Airport. And Monday through Saturdays, you can come to our big tree farm in Stanfield. Stanfield Road, about a half mile south of Interstate 8. Whitfield Nursery here for four generations. We've been growing trees for Arizona's future. Uh, next up, we've got Vicki and Tempe, but after Vicki, we've got those open lines, 602-277-5827. Good morning, Vicki. Hello. Hi. Hi, how are you? Wonderful. Thanks for asking. Sorry, I sound surprised my husband was talking. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Anyway, the, re- the reason I'm calling is we're driving home. We were up in the White Mountains this weekend, and obviously all the trees are changing colors. Are there any trees that will grow down in the valley that change colors like that? Absolutely. Uh, I know up here, up there was aspens <laughs> and oaks. Well, and cottonwoods, too. Yeah, a lot of different things. But down here in the valley, if you want some some of the prettiest trees for changing colors, like a Texas red oak. Okay. And those will go a multitude of colors. Those will go like three different colors. And uh, they're deciduous oaks, so they'll lose their leaves, but they get like three different colors. Um, There's a Chinese tallow tree that can turn red. 
It's kind of a neat, yeah. neat thing, and it has like a little round kind of a leaf and turns red. And then like our ashes are all turned gold. The pistachios, depending on the weather, will sometimes turn red, but, but it takes some colder weather for those to turn red. And then some of the crepe myrtles will actually color up pretty well, too. So we, we do have some, you know, color trees that we have here, but, um, you know, not as much as you see up there. And it's not such a determined season, but uh, we yeah. certainly have trees that will turn some colors here in the valley. Well, we do have the pistache, thanks to you, um, and we do have the purple plum, but I just love that the golds and the greens. Well, I mean, the golds and the reds. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know we have a lot of them, but really one of my favorites is the Chinese tallow, and I, and I think we do have yeah, some just, at our nursery Glendale. I just saw that the other day. That tree's really pretty. Yeah, All we, right, well, thanks three times. Thanks, Vicki. Have a nice trip down the hill. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Oh, let's see. Next up, we've got uh, Richard in Phoenix. Good morning, Richard. Yes, good morning, Brian. Um, just a general question. What is the difference between the torch glow, bougainvillea, and the pixie? They look structurally, to me, the same. Well, one of them used to be a trademark name, okay? <laughs> so, genetically, oh. they are the same. Well, they are. Yeah. It's just, uh, and, and, the name was trademarked at one point, and I don't think it is anymore, but uh, that's why. Okay. Okay. Um, and how big do those get? Oh, they can grow into a 15-foot thing. I mean, you know, I really like the way they grow naturally. And if you train them like an ocotillo and let them do yeah. their own free-form kind of character thing, uh, I, they're, I think they're very special. You know, and they can yeah, get I, large. You can, you can prune them back smaller. The hard part is if you prune them, then you take away that, you know, the structure. And so you have to re-prune the structure back into the plant. Okay. Okay. And then uh, one last question. I have... Um, a backyard full of uh, palms, and when you and I spoke about a month ago, and I was asking you about pindo palms because I've, I've I've got several mule palms that I've bought from you that are thriving, and I've got Mediterranean sand palms and uh, um, a pindo palm, and you suggested rather than a, a straight pindo palm that I consider something called a Mexican blue, mm -hmm. and I came to your nursery and got a beautiful seven foot tall. Mexican blue, and it's in my yard. Um, how should I be watering that? Uh, you know, newly planted, you can water it right now probably once every two weeks, pretty heavy. You know, was it what's it was it a thirty six inch container or box? Oh no, no, it was only a fifteen gallon. Oh, a fifteen gallon. Okay, so you probably want to water it, you know, heavy once a week for right now, and then you okay. can back off the water here in about three weeks whenever it cools off, and uh, and then water it once every week or two through the winter. It's not going to need much water. That it's a slower growing palm tree, but it's the hardiest right. palm tree we sell. It takes weather below zero, and uh, mm -hmm. takes heat. You know, it doesn't mind one hundred and twenty five, and so it's really a tough tree, Richard. They're they're a native to northern Baja, um, and really do take the heat and the cold. Now, will that watering cycle apply to my, uh, well, my med fan palms are all huge. And, it's, it's identical. Uh, it's, it, once it's established, I mean, we're giving it a little extra water because it's new, okay, and because okay. it's smaller. But, uh, no, it, it grows right along with the, the Mediterranean fan palms and all the other, you know, traditional hardy desert palms. And uh, it's, it's kind of like those. It'll grow faster if you water it more in the summertime. And it doesn't need much water at all in the wintertime. And, and realistically, none of them uh, need to be watered more than once a week, even in the heat of the summer, if you, as long as you water them deep. Yeah, incidentally, my uh, my uh, first mule palm from you was bought 
um, two and a half years ago, and I showed a picture of it to your son, Matthew, and he, he said, I got to show this to my dad. Obviously, I don't know that he ever did, but it's now about uh, somewhere between 15 and 18 feet tall and thriving and huge and beautiful. Well, you're you're kind and it appreciates the care, Richard. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I think I think sometimes we know when we're loved. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently this tree does because it's thriving, and my others are doing just as well, and uh, uh, they're coming along, and uh, uh, it's it's a wonderful alternative to a queen palm, as you've uh, as you've uh, conveyed to your listeners, and I, for one, can. Uh, Heartily recommend that people come and consider a mule palm from Whitfield versus a queen palm well, from anywhere else. Richard, we appreciate the ad. And I've got to let you go because it's time for okay. a break with uh, Heidi Hummel here in the studio. We'll be right back after the news with the Whitfield Nursery Garden Show.